Good morning, my name's Clay, if we haven't met before. And uh, we've been preaching a lot lately. I know I certainly have on the topic of walking together and unity and being like-minded. This will be message number nine for me. Anyone know why I might want to preach nine messages on this topic? Yeah, I need some more material maybe. Yep. Uh, or this is something that we, we need to get and we aren't necessarily getting it yet. As with as gently as I've been preaching these messages, one question that has come up consistently is, Clay, how can we walk together? How can we have unity? How can we be like-minded when we don't agree on things? It's a good question. How is this even possible? That's what I want to I want to begin speaking about today. To help us get our minds around this, I have a question for for those who are married in the room. Do you agree with your spouse on everything? share the same opinions on the value of Colin Firth movies? Yes, exactly. Who? Are you completely like-minded? No? Then how do you make your marriage work? How can you be united as a couple and walk together through life when you don't agree on things? This isn't just a marriage thing. Do you have any friends who don't have the same faith as you? Do you love them? Are you able to walk with them and have real relationship? How do you do that when there is something so vital that you don't agree on? Somehow, we manage to make it work in other areas of our life, but struggle here. Obviously, it is possible to walk together if you don't agree. Leslie and I disagree on lots of stuff, starting with Colin Firth. We're very different people. We make our marriage work not by convincing the other person that they're actually wrong, which used to be my approach, and not with great success. Because it turns out 
despite what I was hearing, Leslie didn't actually need to be right. She needed to be heard. And she needed to be loved. So I think it's just ridiculous. But that is the same for us. Well, deep down I believe it is. Our marriage works because we submit to each other out of reverence to Christ. And because we love each other. On some issues, some disagreements, Leslie submits to me as the leader of our family. On some issues, I submit to her because I respect her and her role in our family. On some issues, I defer to her because uh, I love her and I just want to please her. And so I do watch a lot more Colin Firth than any man really should. And Leslie does the same for me. On some issues, we sit down and we talk respectfully and we find a common compromise that will work for our family. And on some issues, one or other of us will surrender and go with whatever just because we want peace and harmony in our home. Now, you might think that sounds like a cop-out. But I assure you, it is actually a lot more biblical than you may think. Disagreement in a church family like ours isn't a problem. In fact, it really should be our expectation. With over 300 diverse people in our community, how could we not disagree on over a thousand things? The issue is not that we disagree. It's what we disagree on and what we do with that disagreement, how we work it through. Disagreement certainly wasn't heard of in the church in the New Testament. And it wasn't always a major issue. Paul wrote what amounts to a whole chapter to the Roman church on this. So let's turn to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to have a good look at this. Romans chapter 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One's person, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, 
whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Paul called this issue of meat offered to idols a disputable matter. Though he personally leaned towards the idol meat as harmless camp. Do you know who didn't think this was a disputable matter? 
Do you know who had the opposite position to Paul on believers eating meat that had been offered to pagan idols? James. That's right. The Apostle James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, thought the opposite to Paul. In fact, he effectively wrote his position into canon law when he presided over the first church council in Jerusalem, at the end of which he issued an edict to the church around the empire that we can read in Acts chapter 15. Do you want to read it? Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Paul knew about this edict. He was there. He was at the council. In fact, Paul was one of the guys that was commissioned to take the letter around the churches. But obviously he disagreed with James's hard position. But that didn't seem to bother him. He didn't let his differing opinion impact his relationship with his fellow apostle or the church in Jerusalem. And in his letter to the Roman church, his purpose was not to make a case for it being okay for Christians to eat sacrificial meat. The case he was making is that unity and edifying each other is of greater value than being right and enforcing our views on others, even if we are completely convinced of the fidelity of our doctrine. And he used the words, what was it, fully persuaded in the Lord on what he believed. But even given that, he did not use that as an excuse to throw his doctrine and his knowledge of Scripture at James and the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because God had called him to something higher than that. Building a church that is unified, a body of Christ. We can make a very big deal of truth. And so we should. God makes a very big deal of truth. But we can be all too eager to sacrifice an awful lot for our idea of what the truth is. And often a whole lot more than God is actually asking us to. What is the truth? How do we know? Truth, I have come to understand and experience, is both objective and subjective, both absolute and discretionary, by which I mean I understand now that there is a difference between God's truth or, as I like to put it, the truth, and what I think is true. God's truth, 
the truth is absolute. It's objective. He defines what the truth is. God doesn't have opinions. What he thinks is. That's just it. He defines what truth is. <laughs> what I think is true is not the same thing. What we think is objective truth is actually subjective. It's the product of our bias, our upbringing, our influences, and our brokenness. Now, we think our truth is objective, just like God's, because we think we know what God knows. Maybe we've read the Bible cover to cover, and we think that our interpretation of those scriptures is infallible, and so we can know exactly what what he intended from, I don't know, whatever version you're reading, translated by, I don't know who, from the original text. Well, not from the original text, from whatever script they eventually got. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in the authority of the scriptures, quite to the contrary. But yeah, we, we seem to think that we know what God knows. And so we have objective truth and know what he thinks about everything, about homosexuals, for instance, or about Palestinians and the state of Israel, or about premarital sex, abortion, rap music, marijuana, Catholics, people who don't use the apostrophe correctly. I, I believe in absolute truth. I'm sure God has a definitive position, a tru the truth, on all of these issues. I just don't always know what it is. And even when I think I do, I can only ever be so certain. And that's because I am not God. And neither are you. but that doesn't stop me acting like I am. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, there isn't even a metaphor that comes close to illustrating the infinite gap between his knowledge and his thinking and ours. What I know, what we know, is really our best guess at what his truth is. Sure, Often that guess is an educated guess, informed by Scripture, our understanding of Scripture, informed by our perception of how we think the Spirit is leading us. But in all of this, our humanity is present. And that can't help but distort the purity of his, of his truth. And so it is subjective. Some guesses, they, I'm sure they're better than others. But it's not the same as his truth. Depending on our level of conviction, we will attach to our understanding, to our truth, a measure of faith. 
I call this varying measure of belief my circles of certainty. I imagine a set of concentric circles, something like this. Uh, In the center circle is the truth that I hang all my faith on. These are my absolutes. The truth that defines my existence and my entire worldview is in there. And there is my belief that there is an almighty God, that he created me, that he loves me, and that he gave his life for me. And there is Jesus giving his life for me. Who I am is built on that. That is my solid rock. That is the closest I believe I have to objective, absolute truth. The next circle out contains my orthodoxy. These are the truths that I believe strongly, but not with the same absolute conviction as the first circle. And in the next, beliefs that I am pretty sure about. These are uh, things that I I hold to strongly. Uh, And outside of that, uh, hmm, yeah, my opinions. Oh, if I had to, if I had to give an opinion on something, I'd have something in there. In fact, I have I have an opinion on everything, and so there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there, and I can make you know, a compelling argument for most things. But yeah, I'm not going to you know bet the house on it. There was a time when I only had two circles. There was absolutes and convictions. And most things were in the in the middle. If I had an opinion, you better believe I probably had a scripture or two for it as well. And uh, I could string a few scriptures together and uh, make a very compelling case. And I would, oh, I can get pretty fired up about a lot of things. It turns out it's quite hard to get along with me when I was like this. When someone is so full on about everything with no room for conversation, no room for them to hear or grow, they are very difficult to get along with. That's okay. I didn't need to get along with people. I just needed to be right. (laughs) And for them to know it. I have more friends now. It's awesome. I had a very high opinion of my ability to interpret the scriptures and discern truth from error. When I read Paul's words in Romans 12:3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I was pretty sure of the kind of people he was talking about. He wasn't talking about me, obviously. I have, a, I have a very accurate opinion of myself. I can't help it if God made me this awesome. <laughs> what an idiot. I, uh, I now have to agree with the words of author Jim Rohn, who said, things that I felt absolutely sure of but a few years ago, I do not believe now. This thought makes me see 
more clearly how foolish it would be to expect all men to agree with me. Now, despite how that might make me sound, I'm not a wishy-washy Christian being blown around by any novel and popular doctrine. To the contrary, I have always found it very hard to adopt teachings that I did not come into by my own diligent study of Scripture. But that was when I was my own teacher. What I've since discovered is that when you let the Holy Spirit take his role as your teacher, he teaches you stuff. Stuff you didn't know before. Who would have thought? My point is this. Knowledge, understanding, revelation, theology. These things grow. They change as we change, as we grow. God's truth doesn't change. But we grow into it. When we have proved faithful with a little, God gives us more. When we have demonstrated that we have a teachable spirit, he teaches us things that we were closed off to before. A humble heart recognizes that you don't have everything all worked out. You are not the font of of all knowledge, and that God might just have a few more things to teach you, and maybe a few things to unteach you. A humble heart also recognizes that maybe, just maybe, you've got a few things wrong. The teachable spirit is soft and malleable, open to God, shaping it and molding it into his design. A teachable spirit is hungry for God's word, thirsty for new revelation. The disciples, to their credit, were open to the revelation Jesus was bringing. And though they didn't always understand it, they followed anyway and received it as best they could. How teachable are we? How open are we to receiving something new or to challenging teachings we have held on to from the past? A hard heart and a closed mind could well be holding us back from receiving the new wine that God has for us and from coming into unity as a church family. Our humility is often tested when someone else has come into a revelation that we have not. Oh, how many times mine has been tested in this fashion and I have been found wanting. I just want to take a second just to give this man a hug. Oh, because you loved me. Even though, oh, I don't know how aggressive I got with you and with this guy here as well. Oh, sorry, bro. Man, I was so sure I knew. How could you know stuff that I didn't? It's unacceptable to me. But God is faithful. 
And when you let him, he works in you and he humbles you and he positions you to receive what he has for you. You see, it's humility that we need. Humility and love. Just as these are the glue that hold a marriage together, so they also hold together a spiritual family. And this is what God has modeled for us. I am in a discipleship relationship with a guy who I fundamentally disagree with on everything we've ever talked about. And I love him. And it's remarkable the work that God is doing in me through this this discipleship relationship that we have. You know what would be no good to me whatsoever? Is if everyone agreed with everything I ever said. Part of me thinks you probably should. But if you did, that would be of no use to me whatsoever. Because in that I would never grow. I have come to believe that God speaks to you and he shares things with you that he hasn't shared with me yet. And he shares it in ways that I haven't received it before. And I've come to understand that the gifts and revelation on you will build me into a greater maturity that I'd have without you. I need you. To be the man that God has called me to be, I need you. I need the stuff that I don't agree with. Some of which I actually need to come into. Some of which will actually grind away at me to hone me into greater truth myself. We need humility and love. This is what Christ modeled for us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Love is what moves us to put our concern for each other before our concern for correct doctrine. And humility leads us to consider that maybe ours is not the correct doctrine and that we can learn from others too. Now, if you think that I'm saying that correct doctrine is not important. Have you met me? <laughs> Let me disabuse you of that right now. Teaching correct doctrine is my life. Well, he is my life, but this is what he's called me to do. 
I carry a zeal for this. One of those correct doctrines that I hold very strongly, though, is that God's priority for the church is love. Above correctness, the doctrine I have come to understand strongly is love is what comes first. And so we got to put it first. And in love, this stuff gets dealt with. Our disagreements, it gets dealt with in love. And we cannot deal with it if we don't have love for each other. If we are not humble before each other. And that is why we've been preaching this so hard. Because we haven't been treating each other with love. Now, I could speak about this all day, and there is much more to discuss. And we're going to talk about it. I've got a lot of preaching coming up over December in particular. But I think we have plenty to chew on for now. May I offer you, for your meditation this week, Romans chapter 14 the scripture we read through earlier. I want you to read through that again, and I want you to think about how this applies to you. I'm pretty sure meat sacrifice to idols is not really what's ripping us apart here. Anyone really struggling with meat offered to idols? Yeah. I'm wondering where the, where the cat went. But you better believe there's a whole lot of other things that we are disagreeing with and we are struggling with, things that are sowing seeds of disunity. So what I want to encourage you to do is look at the Scripture and ask the Spirit to speak to you. What is separating us? What disagreements do we have? What am I hearing in the teaching? What's coming up in life group that I'm really struggling with? This Ignite environment we've been experimenting with in the evening services has been unearthing a whole lot of stuff. Because around these tables, people are getting real. And I love it. Because all the stuff people have locked within them, all these issues they've had with people, all these disagreements, they've hidden it away. And in there it festers. It turns your heart against your brother and sister. But in in a constructive environment of discipleship, you can actually get it out. You can shine the light of Scripture and truth on it. And the Spirit can work with it. So I'm excited about it. I get excited when I see tables just going full on into the stuff because they were prepared to be vulnerable and share what they're really thinking and feeling. And in love, we can resolve that stuff and come to unity. So yeah, Romans chapter 14. Have a look at this. Meditate on this. Ask the Spirit, what, what are we disagreeing on? How can we resolve these things? And I want to give you a few questions as well. We'll put these in the life group notes. Consider friends, family, even a spouse that you disagree with in some matters. How do you manage to get along? Um, Are there some issues that can be overlooked for the sake of church unity and others that can't? What are some of those issues for you? Uh, How can we have constructive, edifying dialogue with other disciples that we disagree with And how do we become like-minded? Okay? 
Those are some questions just to meditate on during the week. And um, we'll explore more of these questions over um, you know, the next few times I'm speaking. And please, if I have said anything this morning that you disagree with, and I expect I probably have said a few things that you disagree with, please come and talk to me about that. I love to talk about the stuff. In fact, I'd prefer to have a stack of people come up and challenge me on things rather than everyone walk away and say, eh, that was right. Let's contend for truth together. And let's get stuck into our life groups as well. Okay. Can we pray? All right. Do you want to stand with me, please? And, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back into some, some more worship. Lord, if you walked away from us over everything that you disagree with us on, well, we wouldn't have a God anymore. Thank you that, thank you that you have grace for us. Lord, we need that grace for each other. And I pray, Lord, that we would have grace just as you have grace for us, Lord. I pray that we would forgive each other just as you forgive us, Lord. I pray you'd help us to love each other just as you love us, Lord. I believe that full unity is possible and that we can actually be like-minded as we, each of us, come into the mind of Christ. It is you who unite us, Lord. So I pray you'd help us, each one of us, to surrender, to surrender ourselves to your work, that we would come into the mind of Christ as you renew our minds, Lord. So pray, Lord, you'd help us to continue to strip away flesh and come more into you. Lord, just now, just pray your love, a deeper revelation of your love for us that would inform our love for each other, Lord, would just continue to grow. Lord, help us to be family, not just positionally in you, Lord, but actually live like it, loving family. Show us the way, Lord.